This is the Orange Podcast. Conversations with Orange City Council for the local community. It was the week before Christmas and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Well, that's the peace and quiet that Christmas is supposed to be about. But this is the reality of Christmas in Orange. Temperature gets to a certain point. This is what passes for peace and quiet when a million cicadas emerge for their annual stay, all part of the colour of Christmas in Orange. Thanks for joining us for the Orange Podcast. Some light-hearted topics on the show this week as we make the run into Christmas. Actually, this is much too loud. I've had enough. I'm heading into the soundproof podcast booth. Ah, relief. (laughs) That's much better. On the show this week, some terrific answers to the question of what can I do, Mum? I'm bored. Coming up later, what our gallery, museum and library are doing to help our kids keep occupied over the holidays. But first, if you think you're accumulating more and more stuff this Christmas, have you ever thought about how much extra waste is also part of the season to be jolly? and how we deal with that as a community. Some recent research is showing up the trends of what's being put in our bins and how we can do better. The way councils across Australia manage waste is one of those really tough issues, but Orange City Council in a number of respects has done it in very pioneering ways. We've got red bins and yellow bins and green bins. But which ones go, which waste goes in each one, and could we do better to make more of our waste? To find out some more today, Joe Smith from Enviricon. Joe, You've recently done an audit to try and find out exactly what we're putting in our bins. Why have you done that? So we do audits every year. Most councils do audits every year of their um, residents' waste. So back in August, uh, we went through the, the waste in all three streams, your red, yellow and your green bin. Um, had a look through it, dug through some rubbish, nice and smelly, um, over about What a great days. job. Oh, you know, those are the perks. <laughs> Did you do it in everyone's bin or just a selection? So we do a sample. So I think we had about 35 samples of different, um, different uh, streams. And so we get a sample from the truck um, of all those bins, um, the rubbish that's been collected in each, and take a sample from that, and then we audit that section of it. And that lets you generalise what's happening across the Orange community? Yeah, exactly. We get it, obviously, from different trucks. We get it from different areas of town, so it's a good representation of the whole town. Let's look at some of those, the red bin particularly. What's your big issue that you've come out of that one? Well, the red bin's really interesting. Going through the waste in there, we've noticed not everything in the red bin probably should have been put in there. So, in fact, only 61% of the rubbish in the red bin is stuff that should go in there. So 18% of our rubbish in the red bin is actually recycling. So we should have put that in the yellow bin. That's 18% um, of the bin. And another 21% is food and garden waste, so those things that could have gone in the green bin. So if we take those things out, we're going to have a lot less rubbish, a lot um, less waste going to landfill. So really important that we sort um, a little more carefully and that sort of thing and, and get that waste in the correct bin. So keep it out of the red bin and out of landfill. That also means that if, you had, if we were doing that sorting lessons the right way, our red bins will be almost half full. Yeah, for a lot of families, maybe even less than that. Um, so there'll be a lot less waste in there, a lot, you know, more space. 
that helps you guide your education campaigns, I guess, if, you know, if, if the big targets in this case, it, it looks to be recycling in the red bin, uh, that lets you target those messages accordingly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We can focus on things that really need to be worked on. In the yellow bin, the, the recycling bin, that's, that's better off. 83% is recycling. That means around 17 isn't. What, what are your major things in there that shouldn't be? That's right. So about 17% is what we call contamination, so things that don't belong in that bin. Um, so a major contaminants in there are a fine material, like undersized things that are too small, which can't be recycled. Things like soft plastics, so your scrunchy plastic bags, chip packets, lolly wrappers, rice and pasta packets, all this sort of scrunchy soft plastics, that's a big problem. Um, and then our other one is also things like uh, compostable paper products, so your tissues and paper towel, which is too low quality and, and often dirty, so can't be recycled. So we can actually put that in the green bin instead because it's compostable um, or in the red as well. So just not your yellow bin. So those are some contaminants we see in orange. If people are going to the trouble of doing the yellow bin uh, and putting stuff in there, it sounds like they're, they're tr- making an effort. They're, most of the stuff in there is either it, either it should be or it looks like it probably should be, but it's wrong. That, that's a, often a good start. Definitely, yes. It's really good to say people are trying their best. And, you know, there is this thing we call wish cycling. So, you know, you put something in the recycling bin in the hope that it will be recycled. If you're not sure, you know, whether it 100% can be, you kind of wish it will be, but not always the best way. Um, really happy that people are doing their best to recycle, but always check the council website um, and just double check that that item can actually go in. There's a full list available of as many things we can think of, which are on that list um, that can go in each bin. So double check there if you're ever unsure. The area in which we're doing the best, the, the least contamination, if you like, is the, the, the food and garden waste bin, the green lidded bin. 96% is the right stuff. Yep. That, that's fantastic for a community to learn those sorts of lessons and, and getting it right. And by, by the sound of things, the things that, shouldn't, that are in there that shouldn't be, the contaminants, to call them that, um, that's only a fairly small-scale thing. Yeah, exactly. So the uh, food and garden waste bin is very low, uh, has very low contamination, so 4%, like you said. Um, there's often things like compostable bags, because here in Orange we don't actually accept compostable bags in the food and garden waste stream. Um, so we like people to put their food loose in the bin or maybe wrap it in a uh, paper towel or, or newspaper. That's fine to be composted. Um, the only uh, one thing we want to see a little more in the food and garden waste bin is the food. So we're getting the garden waste in there. That's not an issue at all. But getting that food waste into the uh, green bin, we only see about, was it, 24% of all the food waste in orange going into the green bin. 76% so the rest of the food waste in orange actually ends up in our red general waste bin. So we get it out of the red bin, pop it in the green bin. We can uh, get that composted through our, our green waste bin. A couple of the contaminants in the green bin. Treated wood, what's the problem there? So the treated wood um, often has, you know, varnishing or, or some other substances or paint and things like that, which means that it's not actually able to be composted, so it does contaminate the compost um, product at the end. So we want to keep that a nice, uh, pure product because the compost that we produce through our green littered bin is actually certified organic. So if we can keep that contamination really low and keep those contaminants out, we can have a really great compost product at the end, which people are um, able to buy if they would like it for their garden or businesses. Animal droppings is another one. What's the issue there? Animal droppings, um, we try to keep out of the green bin um, just because they often come in a plastic bag. You know, you've picked up the dog droppings in a plastic bag. Easier to just pop it in the red bin and keep it out of the green bin. If, it's, if you can empty your plastic bag, can it still go in there? 
Uh, technically, yes, but I guess it's just tricky to, to sometimes yeah. get that message across and get people to, to remember to keep the bag out and only put the droppings in. So well, that one's not a, a big focus area, I guess. Sure. I'm so happy for that and go in the red bin. An intestinal tract of a dog, it's got to be organic. <laughs> you would hope so. Yeah. You would hope so. But if, if you've picked it up in a plastic bin, plastic bag, the problem's a plastic bag. The problem's plastic bag, exactly. We're heading towards the Christmas season. I can't wait. Um, Christmas also creates a huge amount of waste, does it not? It does, and some confusing stuff as well. Not your regular household waste, strange presents and things like that that might come into the house. Let's run through a few of those. Um, wrapping paper is easy, the things that, that are coming around your presents. Are there some kinds of wrapping paper that shouldn't go in your recycling bin? Yeah, exactly. So wrapping paper, which is just paper, is totally fine. If it's uh, a glittery paper, if it's a foil paper, or if it has things like plastic things stuck to it, we say put that in the red bin. Um, that has to be in the general waste just because it's not plain paper and therefore recyclable. It's what we'd call a contaminant. So we say put the regular wrapping paper in your recycling or reuse it for new presents. Or pop the glittery, the foil, the cellophane kind of paper in your red bin. How do you weigh up the contamination issue? If, if I don't want to be troubled to remove every bit of sticky tape off my good wrapping paper, should I put it in the red bin? Um, if there's just a little bit of sticky tape on, that's not too big a deal. It does, um, you know, come out in the paper pulping and recycling process. But, you know, if there's a lot of sticky tape on there, we do urge people to try and take off as much as they can. Some people still use natural Christmas trees at the end of the season. What can I do with that? Yes, so your regular trees, just the same as any uh, garden waste, you can put them in your green uh, lidded food and garden waste bin. But uh, just remember to chop them up a little small because I don't think a whole tree is going to take a very long time to compost. So we just encourage people to chop them up into smaller bits, like small branches and things, and then you can put that in your green bin. My prawn head is going to be consumed on Friday this year. My pick up is until later. What should I do with my prawn heads? Well, you could uh, wrap them in some newspaper and pop them in the freezer if you've got a bit of space. And um, they should be fine to go out on, on the bin night as well. So much to think about. I hope you have a great Christmas, Joe. Thank you, you too. The longer I work at Orange City Council, I continue to be surprised by the variety of stuff that happens here. So much more than rates, roads and rubbish. We've even got an answer to the question that's about to come after the second day of school holidays where Billy comes up to Mum and says, Mum, I'm bored. Orange City Council's got an answer to that. Our cultural facilities have put together a range of activities and fun stuff um, ready for that question to come up and to help engage the community right across the board. Um, to find out some more, the Orange Regional Gallery's Public Engagement and Education <laughs> Officer, Cecile Noel, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Alan. What's the best part about all this coming together? Oh, I think the, the most exciting thing for us is definitely to have face-to-face workshops again after um, COVID. So we've been, it's been, you know, a significant amount of time and it's really great to have people coming back into the gallery specifically and then also kids being able to come back in and do, do activities. Some of the galleries are fairly adult things you've got to think hard so do these guides help someone take their kids and and engage with them yeah absolutely so both the gallery and the museum um, has sort of family friendly guides that are available for free for families so family can turn up and they can pick up one of those guides and that really is designed to help families um, move through the spaces and engage with some of the artworks and um, exhibits in the museum as well you also got some workshops coming up. Yes. How do you... Look, I'm looking forward to a DIY kaleidoscope workshop. Can I come? <laughs> sure, sure. We often get parents um, pretty keen to come along, but these are strictly for kids. Oh. Um, so mostly um, our workshops are designed for, I would say, primary school age children. Um, we do have some sessions that are um, designed more for, for older um, children, more like 11 years plus. 
Um, but yeah, they're, they're super fun. So basically the kids come along. We always take the children through the gallery. So we have a little, um, a little sort of explore in the gallery space, talk about the exhibitions and then all our programs at the gallery. And I know the museum too are linked directly to what's happening. So the kids get to have a look around, get comfortable in that space and then just come back into the workshop area and do something fun and they get to take something fun home. The Orange City Library has also put together a huge activity pack. They have. You don't work with them, but tell me roughly what's going to happen there. Yeah, so um, I think they have this fantastic uh, pad of activities that you can book through Eventbrite. There's a there's a whole range. I had a quick flick through this morning, whole range of things there, and I think you do have to book those, and I think people have to be quite quick with that because I imagine they'll book out really quickly. Um, the library, similarly to us, they have a range of other workshops happening and everything um, is up on their Eventbrite page. That's the best way of doing it, I suppose. If Rather than just turn up, we're learning through COVID and, and being COVID safe that we can't just rock up and do things. Eventbrite's the way to go. Most people know how to drive that. Absolutely. I think it's all pretty straightforward. Um, so all the all the events are actually listed on council's calendar. So you can go there, have a look what's on on a specific day, click on that link and then go across to Eventbrite and book that workshop. So I think that's working really well for everyone. So And if, if particularly for the activity sheets, you still need to go to Eventbrite to find out and, and get one of those absolutely. rather than just turn up at the library. Yeah, absolutely. So there's limited qu- um, quantities of all um, the things we're producing. So the same with the workshops, you know, limited spaces, but definitely if you want to, you've got to get in quick to to sort of nab one of those. So you never know when your kid's going to get bored. So that, that's the advantage of a calendar online, I guess. So if people go to Orange City Council's website slash school holidays, mm-hmm. they'll go to that. That'll take them to a calendar. And if the boring question comes up on that day or you're expecting one tomorrow, yeah, uh, that's the best way. You can yeah, find out absolutely. what's on each, each place. School holidays, you can just jump on there and see what's on offer. Um, the other thing that we'll have on offer through the whole school holidays is uh, the gallery, museum and library have sort of teamed up to create um, a cultural precinct challenge, which is a sheet that you can collect uh, from any of, any of those um, places. And it really just guides children and their families through those different um, different facilities. And there's just a f- lot of fun. I think there's 16 fun, quick activities for them to do and, and, you know, spend a little bit of time in those places. But when it comes to the museum and gallery workshops, they're going to sell out pretty quickly, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. So there's limited spaces with COVID as well. I think there's about, you know, 15 spaces. So they do sell out really quickly. So you need to get on that. So they're all up and ready to go. Um, the galleries ones are up now. I think the museums are going up today. But you you can check all those dates when you have a look when they're going live. You're listening to the Orange Podcast and what is the last for the year before we move into our summer series. Joining us for the, the Orange City Council CEO, David Waddell. Dave, what a year. What did you make of that year? It was rather odd, wasn't it, Al? It started off with a water crisis and I must admit there was a lot of sleepless nights back then. I actually thought for the first time, we could actually run out of water. You know, people were actually saying, some stage we should look at, you know, emergency measures. So that was that, and that was hot, and there were fires and smoke, and grapes got tainted, and it was all rather nasty. And, the, and there was no grass. There was nothing. It was brown. And just as water started to get better, yeah. then this other thing happened yeah. February, March. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden we heard about some flu, which we've heard about many, many times before, bird flu, cow flu, whatever, swine flu, whatever they were. Mm. And then all of a sudden off she went mm. and we shut everything down and we we looked at our colleagues overseas and then and then it was a blur. We sent everyone home. We all somehow functioned. I think our council staff functioned brilliantly. We just kept the city going and it was great. 
both those two issues, water and then COVID and the response to that. It, it's an, an example of how the council does offer some community leadership. Were you pleased with the way the council did that in both those cases? Um, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We did. We, we, the councillors stuck with the staff and we had the same messaging. It, was, it, it actually was quite relatively easy to do because we had a few mantras. We stuck to them. It wasn't too bad. It's very biblical though, isn't it? I mean, locusts must be around the corner. Well, now Avalon's gone off. So... So here we go again. But it was, a, it was a year where we were very productive nonetheless and very proud of the staff and a lot of the stuff that's been going around, CBD and road projects. And, and we got on with things despite the, the – the, and we got on with things despite working from home. Have we learnt things that, that we could do differently? Oh, absolutely. And we've got staff who actually want to make working from home now a, a, a serious part of their life, um, even if it's one or two days. They're, they're finding that they can write reports, they can, you know, do things um, in a concentrated way. We've got we're flexible with our work workers anyway. And we've also and we've also found that the value of getting together from not having to do it for a while. Yeah, I think twenty twenty one is going to be actually pretty fun the way we. We've got a lot of staff stuff planned and we want to do things differently and the way we communicate with each other. I think we've learnt a lot and I'm really keen to apply it next year. The Orange community will start to notice the first changes of the future city upgrade. Uh, well, I think the lights have really kicked in. Um, yes, we'll start in 2021 to see a lot of those street projects come along. McNamara South will be first and then we'll do Lords and Bing. It's funny though, you go back and look at the year. What we haven't talked about is... You know, the economy was going to die and we we're all going to be ruined. All of a sudden, every man and his dog wanted to come to Orange for the first time ever. And, you know, we, we had the benefit of that beautiful tourism. It's really saved us. Could have been a grim winter. That's continuing? Um, I think it's anecdotally dying off and then changing. So pure tourists are now turning into family and relatives um, coming to visit. So it's gone from incredible to solid, I suppose. And some people seem to like it so much they want to stay. If you talk to a real estate agent, it's only taking two or three days to sell a house. Well, the church, some church in Forest Reefs went for 500 grand yesterday. Um, yeah, and anecdotally, it's Sydney money. You'd have to be optimistic for the future of Orange. You would have to. Lots of problems with growing, of course, and rentals and whatnot. But yeah, you'd have to. We've got a diverse economy. We've got some really talented people. So, yeah, I think Orange is, is on, a, on a roll. Is the Waddell family in, looking forward to the Christmas break? They are. I don't know where they are. I think they're all on school holidays. So they're, out, they're out there somewhere. Hopefully they're nowhere near Avalon. Um, but anyway, Merry Christmas, Alan. Thanks for, for this year. And thanks to all the ratepayers. Hope you have a great Christmas. Look forward to working with you on, on, on all the stuff we do in 2021. Cheers. And that was our last Orange podcast for the year. Since we began the podcast as part of our response to the COVID crisis, we've made more than 30 weekly episodes and there's been some great interviews and stories covered. Over the break, you can tune in each week for our Best Of Summer Series. There'll be a new Highlights episode to download each week. I hope you enjoy them. And remember to subscribe where you get your podcasts and leave us a review so others can find it. From Alan Reader and the Orange podcast team, bye for now.